When Joel Greenblatt's The Little Book That Beats the Market was published in 2005, it quickly became a bestseller, not necessarily because investors were clamoring for the book's content, but because Greenblatt was already somewhat of a legend in the investment business. His track record of 50% annualized returns during the 10 years he ran a hedge fund, Gotham Partners, was virtually unmatched in the industry. The rewards to Greenblatt and his partners had been so high that after a decade of managing other people's money, he had the luxury of returning all outside capital and focusing exclusively on managing his own wealth. While reliable data on Greenblatt's investment performance since the dissolution of his hedge fund are hard to come by, his track record of outperformance probably continued in the two decades since 1994. Whereas mystique surrounding Joel Greenblatt may have catapulted the little book onto bestseller lists after it was initially published, the simple yet powerful message of the book has kept it relevant. The advice to buy good companies only when they're cheap seems almost glib at first glance. However, Greenblatt's definitions of good and cheap and the actionable framework presented in the little book make his advice invaluable to anyone seeking market-beating returns. According to Leg Mason's Michael Mubusson, the value of Greenblatt's formula is that it identifies high-quality companies at cheap prices. If you can do that over time, you should be fine. Ethan Berg's description of his investment approach hints at the essence of Greenblatt-style investing. When I was a newspaper boy, there was a weekly circular from a Boston retailer that advertised good stuff cheap. I've essentially adopted that slogan for much of my own investing. When I feel like sounding more academic, I refer to the approach as mispriced advantaged companies. To evaluate investments, I'd create a simple two-by-two matrix. The vertical axis would be a measure of value and the horizontal axis a measure of advantage. Over time, I have not so much changed the approach as refined it. I've supplanted earnings measures with cash flow measures. When assessing presence of advantage, I used to rely mostly on pattern recognition. Now I'll utilize some more quantitative data, such as return on equity when appropriate. The Approach, Why It Works The definition of a good business is no trivial issue. If we asked ten different investors to define good, we might get as many different answers. High margins, high returns on equity, good capital allocation practices, a wide moat, revenue growth, a large market opportunity, the list goes on. Each of these definitions may indeed describe a generally desirable characteristic of a business, but they all fail to provide an easily applicable, comprehensive definition of goodness. Take high margins. While generally desirable, they're not required. Walmart is a perfect example of a good yet low-margin business. Take high returns on equity. While desirable, they're not a panacea for heavily indebted companies. Similarly, good capital allocation practices are a high priority for shareholders, yet if the best capital allocation choice available to management is to return capital via buybacks or dividends, Investors will not reap the rewards of a business able to compound capital at a high rate of return. Meanwhile, companies with wide competitive moats may keep beating their competitors, but they are not guaranteed to translate that advantage into superior operating performance. 
Finally, some of the biggest mistakes in investment decision-making have involved fast-growing companies with large market opportunities.